This is Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast episode number 15. In the fast-paced, high-tech world of construction today, 80% of the new start construction companies go broke or out of business within the first year. In five years, only 2% of the construction companies remain. Construction Business Mastery is dedicated to providing educational information and resources necessary for construction companies to succeed and prosper. Hello, I'm Glenn Wilson, and I will be your host for this episode of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. This is our 15th podcast in a series of podcasts that are dedicated to assisting independent and medium-sized contractors succeed and prosper in the construction industry. It is very important to me to know that the information that we're putting out in this podcast is relevant and helpful to our listeners. We are considering changing the structure of the show just a little and would like your help. I'm requesting all of our listeners to fill out a very short survey that will help us in future programming. And I am aware that your time is valuable, so for everyone that fills out the survey, they will receive a free copy of my book, If It Didn't Happen, in writing, It Didn't Happen. This is a $39.95 value just for filling out a short survey. The survey will take less than five minutes to fill out. And for those of you who want to do the math, that's about $480 an hour for your time. Not a bad return on the investment. You can take the survey by going to cbmapodcast.com forward slash survey. We will also put a link in the show notes at constructionbusinessmastery.com. In the feature segment, we will be exploring what we don't know as contractors. And in the legal segment, we will be looking at a paving contractor who won his case because of the standards of practice in his industry or industry standards. In the safety section, we are going to be talking about winter protection, frostbite, and hypothermia, and how to protect our employees from these. And in the quick tips and bonuses section, we have a very special offer from the Construction Business Mastery Alliance. And now it's time for the feature segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. This past month, I have been extremely surprised at the number of questions that I have received after the launch of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance about why this stuff is necessary. Why do we need to do these things? Why do we need all of this documentation? Most of these questions are coming from small, independent contractors. So in our feature segment this month, I decided to relay a couple of personal experiences that I had early on in my career in construction. The first story is about an experience that I had just after graduating with my construction management degree. I believe I have told this story in the very first podcast that I ever produced, but I think it's important enough now to retell the story. After graduation, I went to work for a developer developing industrial parks, large warehouse buildings, and I was assigned to a project site 
as an assistant superintendent. After learning the ropes for the first few days, filling out daily reports, and doing some of the more mundane tasks, the project superintendent, an old, salty-type superintendent, whose name was Lee Shaley, came to me and asked me to design the form layout for our next concrete pour, consisting of approximately 100 feet of wall. Well, I got out my T-square and slide bar and started drawing up the necessary drawings to give to the field crew, showing all the whalers and braces and turnbuckles and brackets and ties that we needed in the forms. When it was complete, I presented it to Lee for his approval. He looked at it and said, well, we don't need this many braces, we don't need this many turnbuckles, we don't need this, we don't need that. In short, he tore my plan apart. Well, I proceeded to explain to him that we needed all of these things and showed him the engineered reasons why we needed what I had drawn and concluded the whole conversation with, if we don't build it like this, the forms will blow apart and won't work. Well, Lee just smiled at me and kind of did that finger thing, you know, says, well, come here, and walked me over to the door and pointed out to about 100 feet of wall that had just been poured a couple of days earlier with the forms exactly the way Lee had described. And he looked at me and said, Glenn, your way may be technically correct, but my way is faster, easier, and cheaper. Over the next six months that I spent on that project site, I learned a lot from that old man. He was a fabulous mentor. The biggest thing that I learned was that even with my degree in construction management, I still had a lot to learn. The next aha moment I had, I was in my mid-30s working for a large general contractor as a project manager. We were responsible for bidding and completing the project management work on all of our individual projects. I had just bid a $2 million project and was $100,000 low. Every time you bid a job and you are the low bidder, you're always concerned with why you were the low bidder. And I had already started going through all of my bids trying to find out if I had an error. The president of the company came storming into my office and wanted to know why I was so low and what I had left out. I advised him I was going through all of my bids and takeoffs to see if there was any problems, and that I didn't know. And I never will forget the strange look on his face when he looked at me and said, Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And that's really the truth. You don't know what you don't know in this business. Just as a side note, on that project I had not made a mistake. I just had a sub-bid that apparently no one else had gotten from a sub that we had a great relationship with. I soon learned that when I got comfortable with what I was doing and the way I was doing things, there was something out there that I was missing, something else I needed to learn. If we are not constantly learning new ways of doing things, better ways of doing things, and as the old adage goes, working smarter, not harder, then we're on the slippery slope downward to having our businesses fail. I highly recommend, if you're new in the construction business, find a good mentor, someone that's been in business for a long time and that's willing to help you succeed and continue to learn all that you can about 
the management, trade, and profession in your construction business. It's time for the legal segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. This segment is taken from the Construction Claims Advisor with the express permission of WPL Publishing. This month we have an interesting case where a paving contractor is only held liable based on industry standard of care. A Tennessee court has ruled that a paving contractor had no knowledge of an inadequate existing subgrade and therefore had no duty to warn the project owner of the problem. The contractor was not required under the warranty of workmanship to conduct a more extensive subsurface investigation. Northwest Tennessee Motorsports Park, LLC, negotiated with Tennessee Asphalt Company, TAC, to repave 700 feet of a drag strip in Gleason. TAC submitted a price quotation which stated it assumed TAC could mill the existing two-inch layer of asphalt and pave over the existing subgrade. The parties agreed to a $39,500 contract, which reiterated the terms of the proposal and included a standard of warranty that TAC would perform the paving in a workmanlike manner. Prior to starting work, a TAC employee took four core samples. The employee noted water in the holes, but he believed it had been deposited by the water cooling system of the coring machine. The employee later testified this was common and not a cause for concern. TAC started milling the existing two inches of asphalt on the track. TAC encountered soft, wet areas in the subgrade, which caused the milling machine to leave ruts. TAC proposed two options to Northwest. The owner could excavate, replace the subgrade, and repave the track, or it could simply have an overrun of additional asphalt applied to the ruts. Northwest elected the latter, less expensive option, and issued a change order to that effect. TAC continued its operations, but its heavy equipment damaged the track including staging areas outside the contractual scope of work. An engineering investigation disclosed that the entire subgrade had a high moisture content due to improper drainage at the site. The track would have to be excavated and replaced. TAC offered to do this for $200,000, but Northwest hired Ford Corporation to do the work for $186,800. Northwest never paid TAC under the original contract. Northwest sued TAC for breach of contract. The project owner alleged TAC breached the warranty of workmanship when it failed to alert Northwest to the subgrade problems. TAC should have notified Northwest of the water in the core holes and should have conducted more extensive investigations of the conditions of the subgrade. TAC counterclaimed for the contract price as increased by the change order. The trial court ruled that TAC breached the warranty of workmanship. The trial court 
initially awarded Northwest the full cost of replacement, but then reduced the recovery to limit it to the area within tax scope of work. Northwest appealed the reduction in the damage award. The Court of Appeals of Tennessee reversed the trial court's ruling of breach of contract. The warranty of workmanship required TAC to perform in a manner consistent with industry standards. Northwest failed to show that TAC deviated from those industry standards in any way. There was no evidence that the standard industry practice was to inform owners of or to be concerned by the presence of water in two or three inch core samplings. Nor was there any testimony that standard industry practices required TAC to do more extensive testing with regards to subsurface conditions in a paving project or the use of less heavy machinery or use different access points to pave an area of light-duty asphalt. The court reversed the judgment in favor of Northwest and awarded TAC the full contract price as increased by the change order. A note here, a prudent project owner should have investigated the conditions of the subgrade prior to even discussing the work with a contractor and would have designed the project accordingly. It is important to understand what your industry standard of care is or industry standard of practice in order to protect yourself in case problems arise as they did here. It is now time for the safety segment of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. Well, it looks like fall is about over and winter is just now turning the corner. And pretty soon we're going to be working in much colder conditions. Two conditions we have to be constantly aware of when we're working in cold weather is frostbite and hypothermia. Frostbite is caused when layers of the skin and tissue actually freeze. This is evidenced by pale, waxy, white-colored skin. Skin becomes hard and numb, usually affects fingers, hands, toes, feet, ears, and nose. It is important to know what to do if we observe frostbite. First, move the person to a warm, dry area. Do not leave the person alone. Remove any wet or tight clothing that might cut off blood flow to the affected areas. Do not rub the affected area, because rubbing causes damage to the skin and tissue. Gently place the affected area in a warm, 105 degree Fahrenheit water bath, and monitor the water temperature to slowly warm the tissue. Don't pour warm water directly on the affected area, because it will warm the tissue too fast, causing tissue damage. Warming generally takes about 25 to 40 minutes. After the affected area has been warmed, it may become puffy and blister. The affected area may have a burning feeling or numbness. When normal feeling, movement, and skin color have returned, the affected area should be dried and wrapped to keep it warm. It is important in this situation to seek medical attention as soon as possible. Hypothermia 
occurs when the normal body temperature, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, drops to or below 95 degrees Fahrenheit. These conditions are evidenced by fatigue or drowsiness, uncontrolled shivering, cool, bluish skin, slurred speech, clumsy movements, irritable, irrational, or confused behavior. Hypothermia can be encountered with both land and water temperatures. If hypothermia occurs as a result of land temperatures, after 911 has been called, move the person to a warm, dry area. Don't leave the person alone. Remove any wet clothing and replace with warm, dry clothing or wrap the person in blankets. Have the person drink warm, sweet drinks, sugar water, or sports-style drinks. If they are alert, avoid drinks with caffeine, coffee, tea, or hot chocolate, or alcohol. Have the person move their arms and legs to create muscle heat. If they are unable to do this, place warm bottles or hot packs in their armpits, groin, neck, and head areas. Do not rub the person's body or place them in a warm water bath. This may stop their heart. If the hypothermia is caused by water temperatures, usually by someone falling into a pool or pond of water, again, the first thing is to call 911. Do not remove any clothing. Button, buckle, zip, and tighten any collars, cuffs, shoes, and hoods, because the layer of trapped water closest to the body provides a layer of insulation that slows the loss of heat. Keep the head out of the water and put a hat or hood on. Get the person out of the water as quickly as possible. If you are the one in the water, get out of the water as soon as possible. If you are in the water, do not attempt to swim unless a floating object or other person can be reached because swimming or other physical activity uses the body's heat and reduces survival time by about 50%. If getting out of the water is not possible, wait quietly and conserve body heat by folding arms across the chest, keeping thighs together, bending knees, and crossing ankles. If other persons are in the water, huddled together with chests held closely. It is important to know how to protect our workers in winter conditions. It is important that we train our employees to recognize the environmental and workplace conditions that lead to potential cold-induced illnesses and injuries. Learn the signs and symptoms of cold-induced illnesses and injuries and what to do to help the worker. Make sure our employees have proper clothing for cold, wet, and windy conditions. Layer clothing to adjust to changing environmental temperatures. Wear a hat and gloves, in addition to underwear that keep water away from the skin, polypropylene. Take frequent short breaks in warm, dry shelters to allow the body to warm up. Perform work during the warmest part of the day. Avoid exhaustion or fatigue because energy is needed to keep muscles warm. Use the buddy system. Work in pairs.
drink warm, sweet beverages, sugar water, sports-type drinks. Avoid drinks with caffeine, coffee, tea, or hot chocolate, or alcohol. Eat warm, high-calorie foods for lunch, like hot pasta dishes. Knowing the conditions that exist in winter hazards in the working environment will help us to keep our employees safe. And now it's time for the quick tips and bonus section of the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. Again, I would like to encourage you to take the Construction Business Mastery Alliance survey and receive a free copy of If It Didn't Happen in Writing, It Didn't Happen. The survey can be found at www.cbmapodcast.com forward slash survey. And we'll also be putting a link in the show notes at constructionbusinessmastery.com. I would also, again, like to encourage all of our listeners to go to iTunes and rate the podcast and write a short review. This will help us stay up in the rankings, and that will make it easier for everyone to find the Construction Business Mastery Alliance podcast. As a special offer this month, we are offering a 60-day free trial membership to the Construction Business Mastery Alliance. So please go to cbmamember.com, view the site video so that you know what you're receiving, and when you get to the checkout, just enter the trial code 60-day trial. So far, we're getting great feedback on the content, educational materials, discounts in the contractor's toolbox, and the use of the contract manager. If you're just now starting a construction company or have just started within the last year, these are resources you won't want to be without. Even if you've been in business for years, being a member will be invaluable. And remember, in the construction industry, don't hope you will succeed. Plan for success. (laughs) 